0: Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. It's good to see so many in the house of the Lord today worshiping on the Lord's Day and uh, making a joyful noise unto the Lord. Amen. Wherever you are from, you are so welcome here at Cork Church. Wherever you're looking from online, we do welcome you with a, with a warm heart this morning. And thank God for you. It's great that the body of Christ transcends uh, you know ethnicities. Amen. It's, we have a, a higher blood running through our veins. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior, that knits us together and brings us into such close friendship. So praise God this morning. Will you just bow your head for one more moment? Because I do, as I've told you week in, week out, I'm not going to, as much as I remember, not go to the pulpit without praying for Ukraine that God will end the war. So we're going to ask the Lord to do that and to bless the Word this morning and that his name will be honored in this house. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for your goodness here, for speaking to us, Lord, and for ministering to our souls. As we minister to you, Lord, you've been pouring your grace into our hearts. And we just want to thank you for that, Father. And Lord, we come before you now, one more time we can, we say, Lord, will you please visit the Ukraine? Lord, the brokenhearted, Lord, those who are grieving, those who are dealing with unimaginable burdens, Father. We pray, Lord, you give wisdom to the administration, to the president there and to the army, God. But we pray above all that, Lord God, that you would bring an end to this war. And that, Father, a revival of the Holy Spirit will break out in that land that a comfort that only the comfort it can bring, the sweet Holy Spirit of God, will descend into the hearts and lives of the Ukrainian people. And we ask this now, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 The Lord bless you this morning. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. Isaiah, chapter 55. I've given it a title called Too Precious to Have a Price Tag, is our title, Too Precious to Have a Price Tag. It's a very interesting book, the book of Isaiah, as many of you will already know, the book of Isaiah is sometimes referred to as the book of the Bible. Um, There are 66 chapters in, in the book of Isaiah, the Bible has 66 books. And roughly in around the 39 mark of the first 39 chapters, it begins to change its emphasis from the more judgment and wrath of God in, into a, the more new covenantal, New Testament teachings of the Bible. It's uh, Again, the dealings of God with the uh, Jewish people are, they, they, are, they, were, they are, are and were a real people that God has and had affection for to bring them on a journey with Him. To them, the Apostle Paul says, was given to prophets and, and, the, and the patriarchs were given to them the revelation of God, the law of Moses, um, and to them the promise of the seed, the Messiah was going to come through the Jewish people and did, of course, in the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And um, in the dealings with the nation of Israel, there is, there is more eternal outworkings. We learn the ways of God from learning how he engaged with Israel. We, we, we learn things about God and how we interfaced with the people that had such revelation of him. And yet turned her back from, from him in many instances. And, and one of the great things that we learn in that journey is the faithfulness of God. Though, though Israel turned many, many times, he was always a husband to them. And he never divorced them. Now that should give you confidence today in the new covenant. Because if he didn't do that to Israel in the old, he's not doing it to the church in the new way. Amen. It, there's something that we all, most of us grew up with this very faulty lensing of God that put God in the bracket that he was only too willing to judge you and too wanting to put you into hell. What if the opposite is the truth, which I believe it is, and I believe is borne out to the entire scripture, that God absolutely wants you in heaven with him and will go to the very ends of what he could do to save you, and he has already done that. And so when you look at the journey of Isaiah and those early chapters, it's dealing with Israel, and it's also pronunciation of God's judgment against all the nations on the earth at the time. It's, it's just not Israel. God God doesn't have a lot of good to say about Babylon. He has not a lot of good to say about the Assyrians. He hasn't got a lot to say about Midian. He hasn't got a lot to say uh, about uh, uh, and the other Edom and other nations and so there's there's those pronouncements all through those 30 those 39 chapters it, you know he looks at the weaknesses of even a great king like Hezekiah you know making an alliance with Egypt and, and 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 calls Hezekiah out for that for that folly and how it's a picture of how a man that should have known better that walked with God that had a revelation of God relies upon the arm of the flesh to get him out of his problems so that's when we read our Bible, we, we kind of do a double take of our own living as Christians and saying, am I doing the same thing today? I might be ordering the king of, um, uh, of Egypt to come up and rescue me, but am I looking to another source to deliver me or make me happy? Because it really is, it's a, it's a wider implication of, the, uh, of application of spiritual truths that come through the book of Isaiah. And so it's a fascinating book because we're going to read in a moment from chapter 55, but but just for texture and background, the, the, the last previously 15 chapters, starting Isaiah really Isaiah 42, is when the emphasis begins to come upon God's purpose and plan for salvation. Uh, these chapters that lead up to 55, in those chapters, chapter 42, 49, 50, and 53, these are four chapters that are. Widely accepted as the servant's songs are the, the, the annunciation of the servant, the annunciation of the plan of salvation, the annunciation from God the Father that everything was becoming crystallized now that men couldn't hold the covenant with him, Israel couldn't hold to their word, just like you and I. We are no better than they. They, we are all fallen sons of Adam that God comes to redeem. And so, In the fullness of time, of course, that redemption comes into focus in Christ um, 700 years later. But of course, in that journey, um, God is, first of all, he is writing a promise to Israel proper that even though Isaiah in the earlier chapters, it says you're going to go into a captivity. You're going to have to make peace with that. It's going to be 70 years. And there's many other prophets said God would never treat his people like that. You know, God is a God of love. He would never do the, you know, there was these sort of people that, Preach just what you want to hear, but you know I hope you're not here this morning to hear something that you just want to hear. I hope that you're ready to have a hear, an ear to hear what the Spirit would say to you, that you would bring the application of truth first of all into your own life. You see, because that's the journey, isn't it? It's not to try to apply truth to other people. It's to kind of look in the mirror and to see how this affects my life. And of course, in those 39 chapters, you could say that. God is, is laying out the, the reality that judgment is coming and Israel was coming under judgment. And, but he was putting promises in there that he would, even if he was going to take them away for 70 years, are they going to be under the rule of Babylon for 70 years? Not at all a nice prospect because Babylon wasn't known for its humanitarian behavior, okay? It was an empire that, that stomped you out if you didn't bow the knee and they, they broke your back before they brought you into servitude. And so it was a very nasty thing to accept. But, you know, we also have to accept as Christians that the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Yeah, uh, the Apostle Paul says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So, you know, there is a natural order to things. And Israel <laughs> lived that way. They, they, they turned from the revelation of God. They turned to the Baals. They turned to the Phoenician gods of the region and uh, because it suited their, their natural lustful passions. And they didn't want to live in the holiness of God. And they, they turned from the things of God in the most part and yet, God, you know, says, "I'm going to bring discipline upon you, not because I, I just want to. I'm, I'm petulant and I'm silly and petty, and I just want to hurt you because you hurt me. You can't hurt God. I just want to tell you, He draws in an inapproachable light. The issue of sin is that sin is disastrous to us." It's disastrous to the design. It's disastrous to the plan. When it's fully grown, it brings forth death. And God, who loves you so much, so much, he says, I do not want that to be your finish. I do not want sin to override everything inside you that I've made good and holy and in my image. And so to turn you, to turn you back, to sober you up so you don't walk off the cliff into eternity. God brings about circumstances. And the same with Israel. He had several reasons he had to do that with Israel because that was his promised vehicle to bring about the Savior of the world. But he also had a love for Israel. Oh, Ephraim, how I have loved you. There's this love, this is endearment because, you know, you had Abraham who walked with God and Moses and great men of antiquity that had that. I mean, Moses was a friend of God. He, he didn't speak in a veiled way, but God, he spoke face to face. So there was there was these elements of Judaism and and of of some of his great leaders that had won an intimacy in the heart of God. And and so God is going to rescue them. But he's also telling a bigger story because the book of Isaiah endures long after the the regathering of the Jews into their promised land because all those promises are there of regathering, blessing them again, restoring an order and temple worship. And all that happened, all that was regathered. We see that Story there, but there is something very, very, you could say, uh, far more expansive than just dealing with Israel. It, there's a more expansive thinking, and we as New Testament believers can see that, of course, because we ultimately see that the ultimate deliverance is the deliverance from the kingdom of darkness that we all live in until the light of the gospel comes in and the power of salvation. And so the Jews, uh, you know, had prophecies given to them. And, and then it, God begins to announce in Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and 53, the, the servant or savior of the Messiah. And they're absolutely fantastic when you read about them, you know, it's God, it's, it's, it's nearly exciting vocabulary when you read Isaiah 42. And I don't have time this morning to do that. I just want to give you a little bit of background before we come on to the substantive scripture But there's this announcing of God. I the Lord God have called thee in righteousness. I will hold thy hand and give thee to be a covenant for the people. Such incredible language when God the Father would announce the giving up of a particular individual. That would bring Israel into a better covenant than all the covenants before that. And so he announces that, and you can read those uh, where God begins to you know, talk about the, the, the life that the servant would be given to, the, the, the competition he was up against with the law, you know, the competition against other people that want to light their own fires and make their own way. You know, and uh, he says, who would you compare me to in Isaiah 50? Who do you compare me to? You know, and and uh, when you see Christ, uh, and when you understand the glory of the gospel and the cross, you know, it, you know we, we can say, as Isaiah did say, who is like unto thee, O God, among the gods, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises. And so when we have that revelation in the new, the new covenant, we understand the right of the Hebrews, how more superior Christ is to every other revelation and every other dispensation. Amen. And so they're announced so eloquently in those, in those servant songs. They're very beautiful. You get, you get the heart of God. But Isaiah 55 is now the outpouring of the announcing. This is what Christ brings. You know, so we're going to read here. I want you to understand this is, this is not just Israel. There's going to be an outpouring to them, a restoration to them, which all happened and took place and in gathering. But these are more eternal principles. These are, these are midrashic. The, Jew, the Jewish uh, uh, scholars would say that these scriptures not just have an interim fulfillment, they have an ultimate fulfillment. It's not just a gathering in of a nation. The plan of God is not just about a nation. It's about a world. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so the implications become far wide. The, the lens is far wider than the DNA of a Jew or the DNA of a Gentile. And, uh, and so it, it's God loves all men. It was a massive revelation to me to understand that God loves the Gentile as much as he loves the Jew. Do I hear an Amen. It was a massive uh, revelation to me that God loves the Arab as much as he loves the Jew. That's the lower amen. It's true. God loves all people. And God has this, and, and God, not because we deserve it, but it's because he's love. Because he made us in his image. And he saw what sin did, and he said, I will reclaim that at great personal cost. I will reclaim what the, 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 the canker worm is eating and the locust is eating. And, and I will reclaim it. And I will rebuild something that we the Bible calls in the New Testament, the new man. Hallelujah. A new race of people. A, a peculiar people. A holy nation. Uh, his own special people. call out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so I, I want you to get a taste of Isaiah 55. It's actually very unique because it starts off with a very... Here is God casting himself through this chapter, and he says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the water. Now that is, a, that is quite a remarkable word to start with, first of all, with God, because it's actually a very familiar term. It's, it's like God likening himself, condescending to himself to be a common voice in the marketplace. Amazing, isn't it? It has that sense that, and and this is God speaking. Why would the Almighty God cast him aside? It's basically like saying in English, oi. Oi. The term in the Hebrew, I had it written down somewhere. I can't find it in all my mixed up notes. But it it really is, it is, it actually is hoi in the the Hebrew. And it was a term that a a vendor or a street seller in, in Jerusalem would shout out to anyone that was beyond where he could see, before you turned the corner, you would hear a voice. Before you knew he was there, there was a voice drawing you to his direction. And, and, and that's what, it, and in actual fact, the, the term goes beyond that. A lot of the great writer, the Puritan writers, says the word means beyond the pale. Now, you, you know, we've all heard that in English colloquialisms, it's beyond the pale. But that saying came to a place where you were beyond the reach of the law are the protection of the law. And he's saying, "Ho, oh, everyone. So he's not just talking to the Jew. He's talking to those who never had the law, who were beyond the reach of the law. The, the other nations that were also condemned in the first 39 chapters for their awful practices and their evil behavior. You know, and they were awful and they were evil and God was right to condemn them and God was right to just, justify in, in dealing with them harshly because their behavior was outrageous. Nope, there is no reason for a man to murder another man. There is not okay what you think your reasons are to rape someone and to take someone else's livelihood and money. Who do you think you are? To roll over the borders of another country and put your jackboot upon their neck because you think you're God? And all those nations were dealt with. But yet in the covenant, the renouncing of the, the servant coming, the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the most remarkable invitation. It's, and I tell you, friends, it's a remarkable invitation. It's like God getting a little bit excited here. Um, he's coming out to man's level. Of course he did. Of course he did. The Almighty God became a living man. The greatest doctrine of our Bible. We heard it last week. Brother Mike McBride shared this so beautifully with us. The God-man. The writers of the hymn says, It is mystery. All the immortal dies who can explore his strange design. And even angels couldn't figure this one out. The the eternal one that they'd always worship forever somehow becomes forever altered and biologically linked to the human race. You know, an amazing thought, but yet he did. And he sat in the very streets of Jerusalem where Isaiah would have walked himself. He walked those streets many hundreds of years later. He came amongst us. The, The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory. And uh, they, they saw that glory in him and he had that common touch with people. He hung up with all the wrong sorts, as people would say it. People who were beyond the pale. He, he goes to a Samaritan village, the very, very worst in the eye of the, the religious Jew, a Samaritan, what they called a half-breed because they religiously defiled paganism and mixed it in with Judaism and had a whole big mumbo jumbo of theology that was awful and the Jew had disgust and disdain for it. But yet he goes beyond the pale to those who had no law. The Gentile. He goes to Gentile regions. And he reaches out to demoniacs. And he reaches out to you know, lepers. You know, And one of them is a, a, a Samaritan. And he's the only one of the ten that comes back to give thanks for his healing. It's amazing. That those who have never heard. I want to tell you this morning. The Holy Spirit is well able to project his voice beyond the church of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? amen? You hear it, you're privileged this morning. Most of you know the Lord and walk with the Lord. You have a Bible, you've got pastors and leaders and friends. But I, I warm in the heart my heart knowing that the Holy Spirit of God is willing to speak. Hey you! In the barn, in the, in the dance halls, and in the street corners. Hey you! Calling out to you if you're thirsty. Anyone! Can you imagine the Father raising his voice? Because this is the depiction of God the Father raising his voice to the common man, to the man beyond the pit. He's saying it to the Jew first because you can see me speaking it. And they get fulfilled in some level, but they're also called into a higher revelation of that, what that would mean. And that would be a big battle for them to enter that because they had so lowered the aims of God to be just the physical. And you heard that on Wednesday night here. Oh, everyone who thirsts comes to the water. You have no money, come by and eat. I just, I just, I'm amazed at it. See, the, the cry of the soul is so varied, friends. The cry of the soul is different than the cry of the body. There is a deeper need in humanity than the physical realms that we all so easily chase after. But they don't bring the satisfaction, or the joy. It's not that these things are not needed to sustain life. It's just that they don't bring life. Life, when it comes from the deeper wells of our life, being satisfied in that union with God, the cry of all humanity is the cry for reconciliation and significance, even though they don't know it. Man is drunk on knowledge, but no sooner than he gets knowledge, he has to ask the question, Why? Why? It haunts them more than the how it does it haunts men more than how it's why oh we can work out structures we understand gravity we understand the law of thermodynamics also we seem to think it seems to be changing but no sooner do we get some theorems and understandings it's why why am i here the thirst for significance the thirst for you know to know something that can minister to the core of me that that no hand can reach into no no, per- no other pe- people's words can comfort no other voice can bring any sense of sustainability that inner being that as David says my heart and my flesh that cry out for the living God there's a thirst in the hearts of humanity why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages will not, does, does not satisfy foolish investments Foolish investments. Why do we invest so much into what doesn't satisfy? Why is it we invest so much into that which doesn't give a return? Came up on my news feed the other day. Some woman, she started talking and I don't think, I didn't watch it to the end, but she was saying, you know, in a hundred years time, the, the, the caption was, who knows their great grandfather's name? Now, most people won't here. Some of you are, might be on the, in that sort of spectrum that you kind of like to delve deep into those things. Your great grandfather's name, somebody going, Goodness, is it Fred or John? I can't quite remember. She said, Exactly. In a hundred years, she said, none of us will be remembered. Everything you have will be someone else's. It'll either be burnt, thrown in a bin, recycled, owned by someone, or lived in something. Your name and everything you think you are is going to be gone. Nobody will really remember you. And that's the reality. And so it's the idea of search for significance. Well, what is my life about? And so even the secular man that's beyond the pale with no law, no understanding of God, there is a cry for significance, a thirst for God. And yet we can labor for things that do not answer, do not give us any sense of supply, sense of satisfaction. We get temporary respite, but that's only distraction. Distraction can be you're planning a wedding. That's a great thing. God bless you. It's a great journey to be on. But he will not be the answer to your life and she will not be the answer to yours. I want to have children. That's a great thing. They're an heritage, a blessing from the Lord. But they are not going to satisfy the deep down things. I need a better job, a better promotion. And so the list goes on. Why spend money for things that do not nourish you? The core of a man. Because Jesus said, what does a profit a man if he gains all of the world and loses his soul. And yet this invitation, like the shopkeeper in Jerusalem, anyone that has money, let him buy. Come not buy without price. What's that about? He's saying there is something in God so precious that it doesn't have a price tag. It's called God's grace my friends it's so precious come by wine and milk it's such a precious thing the grace of God is so precious you can't buy it you can't earn it but yet there's an invitation to come and partake in it there's an invitation for those who are near like us And how often, even though we're near, we hear the voice of the Spirit calling us in time and time again to journey with Him, to hear Him. And yet, we refuse to come and others who are resisting from behind the pale, But yet, the voice of the Spirit still goes out. Thank God you have another day. Thank God you didn't die yesterday. Thank God it's a day for you to press in and to receive what God has for you. Amen. You say, I might have wasted my life up to now chasing foolish things. But I hear the voice of the Spirit. Anyone who's thirsty, let him come and drink. If you hear him this morning, if he's touching your heart during worship, if you've just woken up in the service and God's beginning to speak with you, fine. I don't care you slept the last hour. What I care about is that you don't leave hungry and thirsty this morning. What I care is that you don't spend another day without validating in your heart the relationship that God offers to you, the abundance that's at his table. The cry of your soul is varied, friends, and God will meet every one of them. The hunger and thirst of the human heart must and is by far more serious than the cravings of the body. For the thirst of the soul is the thirst from our, true, our truest of self, our truest self. Man thirsts for God. Despite all the downward tendencies and earthly inclinations and sensuous leanings in our, of our human nature, there is a profound and undeniable cry of our soul for the living God. Hallelujah. No matter how long of a journey, no matter how much of a desert you go in, there is that longing for God. You can have it all and you think you may and you may have climbed the top of that hill you're chasing. There's nothing there, but I want to say there's still a call goes out to you this morning. He doesn't revoke it. He doesn't say you spent too many years though acting like an idiot. I withdraw that invitation to you. Anybody else? No, that's not who he is. Oh, I think he's wonderful. I think he's wonderful. I'm so glad I met Jesus. Never knew that never knew that I needed. I maybe got the words wrong, but that's what I was saying. The intelligence of man thirsts the ultimate cause of things. Not just the how, as I said, but the why. The immortal spirit which, is, which man is thirsts for a thorough reconciliation with God. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages which... Does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. Isn't that a wonderful invitation today? Everyone, everyone. Do you know the, do you know the Hebrew meaning of that word? It means everyone. Every man, woman, boy, and girl. And Jesus said it in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world Amen. that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever, whoever, wherever you are, you might be the only one this morning hearing what the Spirit is saying because you're hungering and thirsting, and the world hasn't satisfied, and relationships haven't done it for you. And you're now at a place to say, I need, I'm at a time of my life, I need to drill down deeper in my faith and get to know God, amen. I need to have the roots going into that beautiful spring of his life and let that life come out through my life again and see the fruit of his spirit all over who I am as a Christian man or woman. Hallelujah. Oh, it's been dead, like the tree that enthusiastic talks about. Dead in the stock, rotting in the ground. But the scent of God's Holy Spirit, the scent of water, the follicles of water, as they begin to permeate those dead regions of our hearts and lives, begin to bring about the life again. And you don't have to buy for it. It's free. Why? Because someone has paid for it, and he didn't pay for it with money, my friends. For it wasn't with the paltry things like silver and gold have you been purchased with but with the precious, precious blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. It's free to you, but it costs him everything. You can't buy this. Simon the sorcerer thought he could. Others thought through the doctrines of Catholic simony. Others through thinking they can donate half their wealth and they get the Pope to forgive them their sins. That was Frank Sinatra, by the way. Other people who think they can just make a way, bribe their way into heaven. Oh, I want it to, you can't pay your way. You have to come in a humble heart and you have to come hungry and thirsty because Jesus said, it, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Are you hungry? That's the question. And if you're not, you say, God, I need to be made hungry. If you you have an honest moment this morning, you say, I'm not even thirsting for the things of God. I've gone that dead. You say, but you've caught caught this intellectually. Even the intellectual grasping this, you could say, oh God, even in the hardness and dryness, I want to be open. I want to hear you. I want to be made willing. I am willing to be made willing. Are you willing to be made willing? Are you willing for that appetite for the things of heaven to return to you again? Oh, so that David says, as as the deer pants for the waters, so my soul pants after you, O God of the living God. David had to be brought to that place again. He got a bit too big for his boots. He's sitting in Jerusalem. He's He's lusting where he shouldn't be. He's chasing women he shouldn't be. He's doing what he shouldn't do. And God raises up his own son his own son rebels against him and leads a rebellion against him and he's on the run It's Psalm 42 he's running from his own son his kingdom is slipping away there's a there, there is a civil war ready two armies are fighting and he has this he's not talking about the war he's not talking about his son he's talking about how he's lost intimacy with God and how this war has brought him to a place of thirsting for God I don't want to tell my Ukrainian friends or anybody else for that matter. You know, God sometimes brings those things and lets those things happen so that maybe we can see the eternal purpose and God's creating your hunger and thirst for him again because there's nothing left in the world to satisfy. There's nothing to go back to. David thought it was all gone at Psalm 42. He thought it was all over. He thought Absalom had won the hour and he loved Absalom. He was even heart- half-hearted in how he wanted to maybe regain the kingdom. He didn't want his son harmed. He was convoluted. He, was, he, was, he got so many things upside down. But one thing that was right, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants after you. And I want to tell you, after he wrote that song, God broke through and God began to revive him. And it all comes from that, you know, the hearing, the invitation. God is not tight-fisted. He's, there's no small print with his invitation. It's honest. He's already demonstrated his love. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Not when we're all nice, smiley, happy, clappy Christians on a Sunday morning, doing, turned out in your Sunday best, and by the way, you all look really great. But when you were at your worst, when you were f- your furthest from God, Hallelujah! Thank God, He was able to see beyond that and see the new nature. He was able to see the plan. Should you come in your brokenness, beyond the pale, outside of the common? Where some people you've come into, you, you're hearing, you're listening, and you've never before. You probably could even be an atheist sitting here or watching online. The furthest thing from your mind was the things of God. But I want to tell you, the deepest cry of you is your soul. Your soul thirsting for significance and meaning. David says that. The immortal spirit which man is thirsts for a thorough reconciliation with God. But precious provision is offered to you and I. Why labor for what that which does not satisfy? Why waste your strength anymore? Incline your ear and come to me, verse 3 Hear and your soul shall live. The word live means be revived, made strong again, nourished. And I will make an everlasting covenant. This is where he's releasing the doctrine. The sure mercies of David, indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people. Talking, David is here is a character of Christ. A leader and a commander of the people. That's Jesus again. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know. And that's exactly what happens here. He's calling the nations that don't know him as Lord and Savior, that never knew his revelation. And the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. And this is what the Lord says to the people seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thought. The wicked way is any other way other than Christ. And the unrighteous thought is any other way of fixing your problem without him. The great Puritan Brooks said reject Christless solutions. They're wicked, they're wrong, they're on the wrong road. I don't care how good it sounds. If it has Christ out of it, it has no benefit to you. It'll get you another week down the road, another month, another year, but the wheel will fall off. But with the new covenant, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Even though in the world you will have tribulation, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and our God he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways," says the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from the heaven, and do not return there, but they water the earth and make it bring forth the bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes from, forth from my mouth, it will not return to me void but it would accomplish what I have pleased, and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent. And so as the invitation of God to come to him, as you hear that word this morning, as you respond to it, it will not return void. In other words, when you give your trust, when you come to the fountain of God's grace, that which you cannot purchase, that which you cannot buy with any sort of uh, currency other than the currency of faith, friends, and when you come to that place, the word of God begins to work richly and deeply and accomplishes everything in your life. It's a supernatural life, you see. That's why it's not just being convinced of a doctrine. The doctrine must, if the doctrine doesn't leave you to lead you to life, then the doctrine is of no consequence. And I've come that you would have life, Jesus said. And I want to leave you with this this morning because this is the consequence of men and women that will come to him this morning and drink at his from his pool, from his, eat at his table. Now come to his feet today. He said, for you shall go out with joy and be led forth to peace. And the mountains and the hills will break forth before you into singing. And the trees of the fields will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come the cypress tree. And instead of the briar shall come the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. And so there is, friends, a river that flows from God's great throne today. There is a fountain that is available for you and for me. There is wine that cheers the heart. There is water that refreshes. And there is milk that nourishes. And God has got every need, every supply to your need today. I'm telling you, man is not your source. Even great education isn't your source. Relationships aren't your source. It's to come to him and say, oh God, none of this matters. I come and I sit at your table. I come to your feet. I come hungering and thirsting. Oh God of the living God, come Lord Jesus, I pray. Touch me, Lord, as you've touched other. David says it, my soul longs for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Oh, hallelujah. What a Savior we have. What a covenantal promise. Go to journey with me. The Savior is announced through the servant songs and then the invitation because of his work. Ho, anyone within my voice or eyesight and anyone beyond the pale you've never set foot in a church before, You never wanted to. You never cared about it. And you're beyond the pale and God is reaching you. He said, come and buy wine without price. Bread without price. My grace is not up for sale. It's free. It's free. Come to me. Come and eat this morning. Come and dine. And the great thing about the voice of the Holy Spirit not limited to the voice of a preacher or a church. For some of you here a burden for family members and you don't know how because you don't have contact with them. People you know, you don't have contact, you're broken, but I want to tell you you don't know who's going to speak to them. The Holy Spirit can speak to them. He can shout that voice from heaven. Hey you, hey bud. Yeah you. I've got something come to me you've tried everything else come and drink I have something far better than wine far better than bread it's too caribbean you're just going to get fat (laughs) purest of water I have life for you and I have it abundantly will you stand this morning I know we've gone over dirt time but I do want you to talk to the Lord just for a few minutes before we leave I had intended to bring an altar, but we are running out of time this morning. But I, want to, I, I do want you to talk to God. Because that invitation is still there for you and I. To come into his presence. When is the last time you spend time with him? When's the last time you've opened his word? He's ready to speak to you. He set a table before you. You know, one of the last words of Jesus, it was very telling and it was very disturbing when he's walking that final week to Jerusalem and he's looking over the Kidron, looking onto the city of Jerusalem, the Bible says he weeps. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. It's an invitation. He has no stick here. He's demonstrated his love. You want to go on with the same set of values and directions you've gone in, you're going to get the same result tomorrow and the next week. It's mad to do that. It's madness. It's time to come again and hear the call of God to drink the word of God to drink the presence of God to drink the purposes of God and to live for God. Now close your eyes, everyone here standing. Just talk to the Lord. Say, oh Lord, I just want to come to your feet today. I just want to come into your presence. Close your eyes, don't think about anyone else. Lord, I want to come into your presence. I want to fall at your feet. I want to thank you for that sense of your drawing in my heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. I've woken up today, been asleep for too long. I've chased all the wrong things and I'm not happy. But now I come to you. Lord, I come to you and I drink of everything that you've given for me, your victory your resurrection, your power, your love, your joy, your peace, your kindness, your meekness, your gentleness, your self-control. God, I drink that in. Your forgiveness. Lord, I thank you, Jesus. Will you just raise your hand to the Lord? Just thank him this morning that he set a table right in the presence of the enemy. And even though you might be in a valley and it's a shadow of a valley, it's a dark place, the table is there. The valley is still there, but the table is there. Life is one continuous valley. The table is there. He said, you want to come sit down? Don't worry about those armies and evil around you, I'm with you. My rod and my staff are gone. I'll stand up and I'll chase the devil away. I don't care if he's looking at us and overshadowing us, the table is there. Do you want to sit down with me and have a meal? Do you want to celebrate what Jesus did? That's the meal. That's the breaking of bread. Do you want to celebrate with the brothers and sisters of God because that's where I'll meet you in greater glory in the house of God when two or three come together in my name, I'm present in the midst. Hallelujah. Father, I just pray. I pray for my precious brothers and sisters, Lord, as we draw into your presence, Lord, as we draw to the feet of Jesus this morning, as we hear the call of the Spirit, we come and drink, Lord. We drink all the glorious truths. We, Lord, drink all the glorious promises, God. We eat, Lord God, from the true vine. We thank you, Lord. We come to the fountain of life. We thank you, Jesus. Our bodies have been washed with pure water. Our conscience is cleansed to serve the living God. I thank you today, Lord, that we can leave here. We can leave here. Brothers and sisters, you have to say amen to this. We can leave here. It's like the end of the chapter. You shall go out with joy. We can leave here with joy. You shall go forth with peace. And the mountains and the hills will break before you and the trees of the fields will clap their hands. I want to tell you, there's no apprenticeship here. There's no more waiting and repining all your steps. It's that glory. The very minute you touch that fountain again, the joy restores. Amen. I said the very minute you touch that, that fountain of grace, that, that without price, you can't buy it. You come humbly and he gives it to you. Then the joy of the Lord becomes your strength. The joy of knowing that you bring joy to God. The joy of knowing that it's well with my soul. The joy of knowing that the spirit is flowing through me. Let the joy of the Lord be your portion this morning. As you, uh, without any right, without any of entitlement, you come, not because you're good, but because he is good. Oh my gosh, hallelujah. hallelujah. He's not waiting for you to get qualified, but he qualifies you when you come, amen. Hallelujah. Just press in now and tell him so. Lord, I'm doing this now, Lord. When you tell them where you are, so not impressing in again. I'm opening up my heart to you. Holy Spirit, come and speak to me. Speak words that I have forgotten about again, oh God. Let, let me hear your voice, Holy Spirit, because I've forgotten it. Your sweet voice. God, touch my church, Lord. Touch everyone here this morning. The hands that have been raised, Lord, the voices that have been raised, the hearts that are opening, Lord. Let the reign of God and the Holy Spirit, let the dew of heaven fall upon the, the thirsting soul, oh God. Holy Spirit, come, I pray. Hallelujah. We worship you, Jesus. Why well, raise your hands to Him? Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at com or just check out our website. It's www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you.